0: Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend.
1: So today's topic for our viewers is the rise of cohabitation agreements. Now, some people have heard of this thing called a prenup or a prenuptial agreement, sometimes postnuptial agreement. We don't use that word in Ontario. In Ontario, we have three kinds of domestic contracts. One is called a marriage contract. One is called a cohabitation agreement. And one is called a paternity agreement. Although in light of surrogacy and adoption, there are these other kinds of agreements. We're not going to get into that right now. So today's topic is not on marriage contracts or paternity agreements. Today's topic is on cohabitation agreements. And why? It's because Leanne and I have been watching how the world has evolved. And what we have noticed is that there is a significant rise in the number of people that are living together. And there is a slight decrease in the number of people that are choosing to formally marry while living together. And during the same time, we have the prices of real estate in Ontario skyrocketing. Concurrently with that, we've got bank of mom and dad advancing money to their young child, adult child, or adult grandchild to purchase a condo or to purchase a home while that person is going to move in with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. And so this is the perfect storm that has caused my phone to ring off the hook asking for cohabitation agreements. And most people think like preparing for a trial probably takes a half an hour. Most people (laughs) think that a cohabitation agreement, you could just write it on the back of an envelope and it's done, not the case. So I'd like to start with Yulianne, and let's just back up and let the viewers know what is it that we are trying to help people protect in a cohabitation agreement?
0: Well, there can be any number of things in a cohabitation agreement that someone may want to protect. But it primarily centers around protecting assets and property that um, somebody has and that they're bringing into the relationship. And it can also protect um, Against having to pay spousal support, so or put limits on it or parameters around it, so those are kind of the the key areas also I guess it could be used you know as well to protect against debt from the other party but you know one of the things we have to remember is that at common when people live together at common law and they're not married um, on their face, they don't have property rights the same way people do when they are married. So if Mary and John got were decided to live together, the way that it would be treated at common law is that the property that's in Mary's name is going to be Mary's, the property that's in John's name is going to be John's. If they have joint property, it's divided 50-50. And so um, it's it's different than if they were married. So some people... Want to just you know crystallize and make very clear that that's what they want they they you know that's the situation and they just want to clear what they have and what they're protecting and then sometimes people want to go a bit beyond that into other types of situations like the one Steve touched upon where maybe one of the parents is you know get, uh, loaning or gifting money um, you know to their child uh, to purchase a home that the parties are going to be living in and they want to have that protected. Um, or again, if you, you know, if you live with someone and you have children with them, or if you've lived together three years or more, you could be obligated to pay spousal support. So you may want to have some conditions surrounding whether you know,
1: there's a waiver
0: of that or whether you are going to pay it in certain s- situations.
1: So let me add, for the benefit of our viewers, this very difficult concept, which is married people have property rights, unmarried people do they have property rights? Notice how I asked the question, because it's not conclusive that unmarried people who cohabit do not have property rights. Or to put it another way, be very careful in thinking that if your boyfriend moves into your condo and lives with you for a lengthy period of time, three, four, five, 10 years, be very careful in thinking that your boyfriend will not later make a claim to being a part owner of the condo that is in your name that you bought with your money or your family's money and that he lived there. Because we have seen way too many cases like that where that boyfriend 10 years later says, well, I paid the property taxes or I didn't pay the property taxes in the mortgage. She paid the property taxes in the mortgage, but I paid XYZ X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, E, F. And if it wasn't for me paying all those other things, she would not have been able to pay off the mortgage. And as a result of me paying all these other things, that mortgage is paid off. I, boyfriend, have an interest in the condo. And I was there for the 10 years when it went from being worth 600,000 to 900,000 so at least i want half of the rise half of the 300,000 plus i want how much money i paid that allowed her to pay down the mortgage make that up another 200,000 so do not think that if you are unmarried and it's your property registered in your name that you have no obligations Sorry. or property obligations to the other spouse. You might. And that is why cohabitation agreements, that's another reason why I should say, cohabitation agreements have become very, very popular because these days people are smart. You know, they think, you know, this is a lot of money. I'm, I'm taking on a huge mortgage. I'm buying this huge property. I'm putting my whole life savings into it. I got an early advance of an inheritance from my family. Um, and someone puts in their ear, are you gonna let your girlfriend move in with you? Aren't you gonna like protect yourself? And that is what causes Leanne and our phones to be ringing. Because people are smart and say, you know what, for what it's worth, whatever this agreement is gonna cost, two, three, $4,000, I'm protecting hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's money well spent. I uh,
0: turned it on mute there because my dog was going nuts for a second. But, um, maybe your so, dog was
1: thinking about a prenup.
0: Maybe, maybe. My dog My dog seems a little stressed out these days. So maybe, maybe there's something I don't know. Um, but, you know, and it's interesting because I think that, that um, cohabitation agreements, they used to be something, um, you know, just like, marriage contracts or prenups, you know, they were much more taboo and had much more of a stigma surrounding them. Um, that, but they really don't have that um, same stigma anymore. I mean, they're, I, I find I have lots of people coming through my door asking for them from all socioeconomic levels in some regards. They, they have their reasons for wanting them and they understand that it's money well spent, um, and it's better to negotiate with someone when you're, you know, in love and you know, on good terms than when the, if the relationship sours and you're separating and, you know, you're you're angry and hurt or you're dealing with an angry and hurt person who may be um, apt to go after things that they may not have gone after if you'd negotiated it beforehand. So I think, it's you, know, you say I that.
1: Think... The, the actual persona, the actual effect, of the person that comes and sees me or speaks to me regarding these agreements has radically changed in the last 30 years, in my experience. You know, 20, 30 years ago, when I was consulted or retained to draft an agreement for the person with the money, they would come in very sheepish, very guilty. I, you know, My parents told me to, or my, my, my accountant told me to, They were very apologetic to me. God knows how they spoke to their spouse about that. And 30 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, when the the non-moneyed spouse came into my office and said, here's a cohabitation agreement that my boyfriend or girlfriend wants me to sign. How dare they ask me to sign this? They were... They were repulsed, they were angry. It was like, do I continue in this relationship or do I not? Because the very act of asking me to sign this goes right to the heart of the integrity of our relationship. The same conversations today are radically different. Today, the person that wants the cohabitation agreement says, um, you know, here's what I want in it. It's very very matter of fact. The person that sees me that is the economically weaker party says, oh, I'm totally fine with it. Just l- let me know what it says. Let me know if I have to change anything. Is there anything that I could add? And we, we've gone from radically different views to very similar views in the recognition that it's just good planning. It really is good planning. And by the way, I want the viewers to understand, cohabitation agreements may provide benefits to the weaker economic party that exceed what they could have gotten if they didn't sign a cohabitation agreement or to put it more precisely, if I think you used John and Mary, was that the example? Yeah. So John owns a condo, Mary's moving in. John says in the agreement, John will cover all the bills on the condo, Mary doesn't have to pay anything. And if they split up in under five years, John will pay Mary X dollars for her to get reestablished. Could be five grand, 10 grand, 20 grand. If they split up after five years, but under 20, John will pay Mary $25,000. That way, Mary knows that if things don't work out, this is the amount of money she's gonna get. Now, if Mary didn't sign that cohabitation agreement, After they split up, Mary would go and hire a lawyer and spend at least $25,000 trying to figure out if she gets a dollar. So some cohabitation agreements actually are better for the partners and the spouses and, in fact, better for the weaker person than not signing a cohabitation agreement.
0: Oh, exactly. Um, there are occasionally still like not not as not that often, but I have had someone come through my door, who is in the weaker financial position where they are presented with a very one sided agreement that is, you know, I, we use the word unconscionable, like if it you know, if you if someone's presented with something where it really is unconscionable, then, you know, you're, I'm going to advise them that not to sign it. Um, and they could still choose to sign it, of course, as well. But um, but that does happen very rarely. I say on most people, they've had numerous conversations about it beforehand. They really have a sense of what they want. The the party in the weaker financial position is not taking offense in any way. Um, as Steve mentioned earlier, they view it as good business. Um, and you know, particularly nowadays, where you know people there is a people are you know splitting up maybe more often or there's you know people have children from one relationship and then they're in a second relationship and they you know that's another reason why we often can see these types of things is people want to make sure that they've you know they protect their children financially that their children are going to get um you know they're, they're maintaining their what they wanted their children to inherit one day potentially so you know that's something that comes up as well um and I, I, again, I like. I actually think it almost should be mandatory. I mean, not not to so that people like Steve and I can have more clients and make more money, but I just think it is. It's good business planning, well, a let relationship. Me,
1: let, me, is, let me challenge you. We actually make less money when people properly plan. True. This is that's this true. Is preventative medicine. No, the that's The reality true. is that same couple, John and Mary, without the cohabitation agreement, would spend far more money in legal fees than if they didn't have a cohabitation agreement. So at the end of the day, um, whether you make a will, a power of attorney, you buy life insurance, you buy car insurance, you get a cohabitation agreement. It's the right thing to do. It protects both spouses. It allows everybody to know what the rules of engagement are, should there be a breakup and hopefully you don't need to rely on the power of attorney because you did not become mentally incompetent hopefully you don't need to rely on life insurance because you didn't die and hopefully you don't need to rely on the cohabitation agreement because you didn't split up but in the event that you did you have yourself protected we have a question here Does that contract protect against monies incurred or debts over the time cohabiting the answer is it could and that's the beauty of cohabitation agreements because you could actually indicate in the agreement what happens if something occurs. One thing that I wanna cover before we leave everybody is what can a cohabitation agreement not cover? That's really important to know. You cannot say in a cohabitation agreement that if we marry, this is what's gonna happen in terms of the use and occupation of the matrimonial home. That is something you cannot contract out of. You cannot say, if we marry, Mary has to move out of the home if we split up. You can't say that. That's number one. Number two, you cannot say in a cohabitation agreement, if we have children and if we split up, they will live with me or they will live with you or they will be on whatever schedule. You also can't say in a cohabitation agreement that if we have children, And we split up. This is how much I will pay in child support. So those are three. There's others, but those are the top three that you cannot contract out of in a cohabitation agreement. Yes,
0: and and the child support and the child, you know, the schedule and who's living with who. That those are very important, you know, issues. And those are issues that people do, unfortunately, um, particularly the schedule and things like that, fight about when a relationship ends, but um, because with children, you know, their needs are ever evolving. um, And so um, courts are very protective of things like child support and best interests of children. And, you know, in people who even want to get a divorce, you have children, like one of the most important things judges look at is whether appropriate child support pursuant to the child support guidelines is being paid. So there's a lot of importance put on those. So that's the, the logic behind why, you know, we don't at, you know, there's a rule or there's a, you know, laws against, we don't put them into um, cohabitation agreements or prenups or marriage contracts.
1: Those things do not go in. And in, and in the last few months, I've, I've actually had people come back to me who I did a cohabitation for a few years ago. Um, no different, by the way, than updating a will. Um, people update cohabitation agreements. For example, when I did the first one for this one couple, uh, they had uh, one particular property. Uh, then they wanted to buy another property. Um, and they were going in with different share interests. And they wanted the cohabitation agreement to be updated to reflect the second purchase. And, and that's perfectly fine. And, and quite frankly, I think it's just so mature and so responsible for people to say, you know what? Uh, we're still together. We love each other very much. Um, but, you know, we have we both work very hard. Uh, we both earn a, a significant income. And, um, but we earn at different rates and, you know, I earn X and she earns Y and, but together we're buying another property and she's putting in X and I'm putting in Y and and it's all reflected in the agreement and it's Mm -hmm. just good planning. Yeah and
0: I mean one of the more common issues that I have clients fighting about in uh post separation is um the issue of you know the parents with the down payment or money towards a home and you know the big issue that comes up is loan versus gift and in so many situations the you know one side is saying it's a gift the other side saying it's a loan there's no paperwork at all to show evidence of it being alone. And so the natural presumption then is that it's a gift. So if you have a a cohabitation agreement, then, you know, that can be very clearly laid out and prevent this whole argument from happening. Um, Because, you know, when, when things, when you're in court after the fact or when you're, you know, in negotiations because you're breaking up, one of the most important things is having documentation to back up your position if you have something a document and something in writing that confirms what you're saying then you know you're going to be pretty solid In terms of getting what you want. But if you don't have documentation, then you have a problem because you're going to be required to prove it potentially if the other person is arguing against you. So, you know, why not have everything, you know, as much as possible included in the cohabitation agreement? And, you know, then you just minimize any areas
1: um, of, you know, conflict or discrepancy or differences of opinion. And I'll tell you um, using the analogy again of doing a will or buying life insurance. Um, whenever you do those, uh, often there's a questionnaire. The life insurance agent will ask you, you know, how old are you? What's your health like? How much do you earn? What assets and liabilities do you have? And those questions are very important because what they do is it allows the advisor, in this case, the life insurance broker, to tell you if you need life insurance, how much you need, for how long. Well, similarly, when someone comes to me for a cohabitation agreement, I ask a series of questions. And those questions allow the person to understand, A, do they need a cohabitation agreement? And B, what does it need to include? What are they trying to protect? Sometimes, it doesn't happen many times, but sometimes, as a result of these questions, we realize they actually don't need a cohabitation agreement. So the the Q&A... The intake process is actually very helpful to assist people in getting on the right track and making uh, financially responsible decisions with their money and their income.
0: And it's very important as well that you have consistency um, in your dog. So if you have a will and you have a cohabitation agreement, you want to make sure that you know, the lawyer who did each document, if it's not the same lawyer, is aware of what's in the other one so that they're aligned and,
1: and not in conflict in any way. 100%. So that's it for cohabitation agreements. And I think the topic that you've just raised has to be an upcoming topic in one of our future IG lives, which is gift versus loan after mm-hmm. separation, because that's a mammoth topic that we have dealt with in the past.
0: For sure. Yeah, and we haven't talked about it, so uh, maybe that'll be our topic next week. Thanks, maybe everyone, still. for tuning in. Thanks, Steve, and Bye, we'll everybody. see everybody here again next week. You Bye. It. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.